Let's turn in our Bible to Psalm 107. Psalm 107, and we're going to begin in verse 10 and work down through the two stanzas that I introduced to you last week. So we will go through 22. I'm going to read for you Psalm 107, verses 10 through 22, and then we will begin our time in God's Word. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. For He shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. And they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He sent out His word and healed them, delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of His deeds in songs of joy. Last Sunday I told you, described to you, that Psalm 107 is a psalm for people who know better. It's a psalm for people who know what God expects of them, but they do differently. They don't follow faithfully after their God. Instead, as we saw in the first nine verses, they wander away looking for fulfillment and satisfaction away from God and outside of His provision. And in the first look of the psalm last Sunday, I told you that the emphasis throughout the whole psalm is on God's chesed, His steadfast love, His covenant, faithful mercy, His loving kindness. Our Bibles describe it in so many different ways. And this steadfast love of God is abundant and shown or demonstrated to people who don't deserve it. Last Sunday, we looked at chesed for hungry wanderers. If you use the ha too much, you use it when you're not supposed to as well. Chesed for hungry wanderers. This morning, I want to consider the steadfast love of God from another angle. Really, all of the stanzas of this psalm are connected to each other. And and, and quite honestly, as of last Sunday afternoon, I went home and thought, I don't know if we'll do Psalm 107 again, because I think we've covered what is there to be, what's being repeated over and over again. But I came back to it and I I found something more that, that I think needs to be brought out. But before we take another look at the psalm, I want to point a few things out. I think it's important that we keep a few things in mind as we're working through this. First of all, 
Psalm 107 is a psalm for God's people. Important to recognize that it is speaking to and about the people that God has chosen. The people He has redeemed. Verse 2. These are the ones that God has claimed for Himself. And the psalm here, whatever it has to say, is first and foremost directed to them. Secondly, the whole psalm, and especially the, the text that we're dealing with this morning, deals with suffering, affliction. But it does not address every kind of suffering. There's a lot of different kinds of suffering in the world. Some of us know uh, suffering in very real ways right now. And I want you to know that before we move into this, because your suffering may not be the kind of suffering that is talked about here. This suffering here in Psalm 107 is not random. It is not innocent suffering. That is, it is not caused by another person. Someone other than you has done evil to you, and you are now suffering because of the sinful choices of another person. That is not what this one is talking about. The Bible talks about it elsewhere, and we can deal with it elsewhere, but today we're seeing suffering from another source. This type of suffering is the consequence for rebellion against God. This is the kind of suffering that happens because of our sin. Psalm 107 speaks about what happens to God's people when they sin and the consequences that their sin brings upon them. In other words, the kind of suffering that we're talking about today is the suffering that we bring upon ourselves. But, sin is not the main point of this whole psalm. As I said last week, this psalm is about the chesed, the mercy, the love of God to sinners. God's steadfast love endures forever, verse number 1. And this is the focus for 43 verses. The steadfast love of God. This is the Old Testament equivalent of Romans 5.20 that tells us that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So I want you to listen carefully this morning as if I'm talking to you. Because I am. We're looking at something this morning that affects every single one of us. You may not be suffering right now at this point in your life. But the problem that we're dealing with in Psalm 107 is definitely something that you either have or will deal with. Because sin is a problem for us all. And sin has a cost. There is good news. Where sin is great, grace is more. There is mercy. There is forgiveness. And it's found in Jesus Christ alone. You can have peace with God. You can be justified. That is, have a right standing before God. Declared righteous. Simply by faith in Jesus Christ. That is the good news. You need to know. And of course, if you have never turned to Jesus for salvation, 
you do not know Him as your Savior, then I urge you, you need to do that today. You need to turn to Christ and turn from your sin and to the Savior and repent and believe the Gospel because there you will find forgiveness. You will find mercy. You will find Christ. But I'm going to guess that most of us already have a testimony of faith in Jesus. I'm going to guess that most of you would say you, you have been born again. And you know what I mean by that. You've already turned. You're already trusting in Jesus. You belong to Him and know that Jesus Christ is your only hope in life and in death. The problem is, you still sin. Now, your sin might look different now than it did before you met Christ. Your sin grieves you now when before it didn't bother you. You didn't care. But now you do. It still doesn't eliminate reality that you still sin. And sin has consequences. I'm not talking just about hell. There are consequences for our sin. By mercy and love, God came to us in our sin and rescued us from the curse of sin, hell, wrath, judgment, all of that through Jesus Christ. But the old nature, that old sinful nature, is still within you. You are still affected by pride, greed, jealousy. Maybe not as much as you did before, but you still have a problem with disobedience or covetousness or bitterness. Maybe you've learned to cover it up better, but there is still a struggle with lying or anger, or lust. Let's be honest. That sinful nature isn't completely gone, is it? And sin has consequences. If you would be honest, you will admit you are still a rebel at heart. When you hear God's commands, there's at least a little part of you that resists. I don't want to do that. I don't want to listen. I want to do my own thing. I don't want to obey. I, 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 want to, I don't want to always trust God. and Do it my way. I like my way. My way seems right. Maybe that rebel inside is now weaker as the Spirit has continued that work of sanctification in you. But the rebel is still there. Now, of course, you try not to sin. What being a Christian is all about. But you still do. You want to do what is right. But as the Apostle Paul says, sin dwells in me. And sin has consequences. But there's good news. The same grace, the same gospel that you needed to be saved is the same grace and gospel that applies to you now as a Christian. 
We don't leave the gospel behind. That's not the door to get in, and then we forget about it, and we try to figure out how to live the Christian life. The gospel is for every day, for every Christian. God hates sin, but He loves His children. And God delights in steadfast love. And just as God demonstrated that steadfast love by sending us Christ, He continues to demonstrate His chesed, His mercy, His faithfulness to His believers, to His beloved children. So this morning... Hear what Psalm 107 says about the great mercy of God to redeemed sinners. Hear how God's love is shown to His disobedient children in two ways. This morning I want you to see that God's steadfast love is displayed in the discipline of His people when they sin and in the deliverance when they repent. So let's consider this morning God's chesed for repentant rebels. First of all, we see God's love is shown in His discipline. Look at verse 10, please. People were sitting in darkness, living in the shadow of death, locked up in prison and chains. This is the problem. Remember I said to you that each stanza has a a formula, the problem, the prayer, the answer, and the response. And the problem here is that some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners and in affliction and in irons. Verse 11 tells us why they're in this mess. Because they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. They knew what God said and rebelled against it. They rejected God's counsel, His plans, and made their own plans instead. Verse 17 calls them fools who chose their own ways, their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities, they suffered affliction. See, their suffering was the result of their sin. They're not just unlucky people. They're not unfortunate They rejected God's Word. They rejected His counsel. They chose their own sinful way, and as a result, they sit in prison, bow down with forced labor. Some lay sick and dying in verse 18, knocking on death's door. Now, we need to recognize, as we did last week, God put them there. Look at verse number 12. He bowed their hearts down with hard labor. This is the direct result of rebellion against a holy and loving God. And when God's people sin, He disciplines. One uh, translation uh, takes this this, uh, line in verse, uh, verse 12 as, He used suffering to humble them. Literally, the words are, He humbled their hearts with trouble. And when they fell... There was none to help. They reached rock bottom. There was nowhere to look but up. This is God's discipline for disobedient people. 
But this discipline is God's love on display. We don't read this as God is angry with them. But we read this as God loves them. That's why He's disciplining them. Listen to Proverbs 3, verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of His reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom He loves as a father, the son in whom He delights. Our Scripture reading this morning from Hebrews 12 reminds Christians that God's discipline is a sign of fatherly love. And Hebrews 12 quotes Proverbs 3, 11, and 12 that I just read. And after quoting, it says, God is treating you as sons. What son is there that the Father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children, not sons. And it goes on to say that God disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. Now, I am not saying that all suffering is God's judgment because of some sin in your life. Okay? Do not hear that. But, if you are a child of God, He will bring discipline into your life when you sin. Know that for certain. And it is not a sign of His anger with you. It is not a sign that He is so frustrated with you, He just doesn't know what to do with you because you're such a rebel. God is for you. God loves you. And He loves you too much to leave you in your sin. Because sin has consequences. But let us consider God's love revealed as well in His deliverance. Because the purpose of discipline is repentance. The reason that God disciplines His children is so that they will return. To Him. He disciplines wayward children so that they might repent. He punishes disobedience in order to bring about obedience. And He doesn't give up on you once you've failed. Or when you've failed again. And again. God doesn't abandon His children to start over with more obedient people. God doesn't say, fooey on you. I'll find someone else. You just can't seem to get it right. God has claimed you for Himself. And He isn't content with 99 sheep who didn't stray. He goes after the one lost sheep. Why? Because it's His lost sheep. God brings us back through loving discipline, in order that we might repent. And when we repent, we find steadfast love, yet again, in deliverance. Look at verse 13. Those in prison cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. Later on, those on their deathbeds, the same words, cry out to God, and He saves them from their trouble. And His discipline was meant to produce repentance, and it worked. It did what it was supposed to do. Verse 14, He brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Verse 16, He shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Verse 20, He sent out His Word and healed them. And delivered them from their destruction. I find it interesting that the Word they rejected in verse 11 is the Word that heals them now in verse 20. Now, this is not a guarantee 
that as soon as you repent of your sin, all of your troubles magically disappear. There are a lot of truly repentant people still locked up behind bars. Because there are consequences for our sin. The effects of years of rebellion against God don't automatically go away just because you've come to your senses. The prodigal son was welcomed back with loving, welcome open arms in his father's house, but he still smelled like pigs. He still dealt with the memories of what he had done. A portion of his inheritance was all spent. But the trouble that God brings as a part of his discipline is over when we repent. There is deliverance when you confess your sin to God and cry out to Him. Because that is why God brings that there. Not just to make our lives miserable, but to turn us around. To turn us back. And when we cry out to God, He doesn't delay and make sure we really mean it. You've done this before. I know you've said you've repented before, but I'm... I'm just going to sit here for a minute longer and make sure you really understand what it is that you've done to me. God doesn't drag His feet to rescue you because it's the third time this month you've had to repent. They cried to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. And how should they respond? How do these people who are yet again delivered from their troubles, respond. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of His deeds in songs of joy. The proper response to deliverance is thanksgiving and praise. Not empty platitudes. This is more than thanks. More than tipping your hat to God and going on your merry way. This is thanksgiving that is as intentional as the rebellion was. This is praise that is thoughtful and active and sacrificial and joyful and musical and vocal and public. This is happy thanks for God's loving discipline as well as His faithful deliverance. This is joyful praise to Him who did not let you stay in your sin and who mercifully receives you when you repent. This is thankful praise that is a visible return to God's ways. The ways that we had once rejected. So Christian, redeemed one, have you failed our Lord this week? Have you sinned against Christ? Do you think it might happen again? Know that our Father loves you. So much that He sent His Son to die in your place, to suffer the shame and the wrath of your sin in His own body. Our Father loves to show steadfast love. And in Jesus, He has forgiven you. But He loves you too much to let you stay in your sin. And He is unwilling for His children to remain in the muck and the mire of their disobedience because sin has consequences. 
God is not willing that you should perish, but that you come to repentance. So, He will discipline you. And He will use suffering to humble His people. He's willing to let us suffer the consequences of our sin for a while to bring us about to repentance. In his book, The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis wrote that the creature's illusion to self-sufficiency must, for the creature's sake, be shattered. And by trouble or fear of trouble on earth, by crude fear of eternal flames, God shatters it. When we finally come to ourselves, when we finally cry out to mercy, God is ready to show steadfast love to deliver us, to heal us, to restore us. So, don't harden yourself to God's discipline. God is treating you as a son, as His beloved child. For God to abandon you in your sin would be to say that you are not one of His. So, receive the discipline and rejoice in it because it's a reminder God loves me. Then experience His faithful love once again as He delivers and restores to you the joy of salvation. You cry to Him. Christian, God's love means that He is willing to discipline you in order to bring you to repentance. It also means that He's ready to receive you with open arms when you repent. He'll wash you clean speak lovingly to you, care for you, heal you with His words. Now, again, is all suffering a sign of God's sin? No, of course not. Our Lord suffered for the sins of others. Not for His sin, but for ours. And we may also suffer because of the sins of others. Not every negative thing in your life is a sign that you have sinned. Not all of your suffering is some sign God is not pleased with something that you're doing. This is where Job's friends got it all wrong, right? I'm talking about when you have sinned. Because you do. You will. Ask, ask yourself, have, have I rebelled against God's words? Am I in obedience, or have I rejected His ways for my own? Have you foolishly gone your own way instead of heeding the words of God? Because whether you want to admit it or not, God knows the truth. He who searches the hearts knows our sin and our rebellion and our iniquity. And He is willing to humble His children with suffering when they sin, so that they will return to Him. In repentance. And when they come, He faithfully receives them, loves them, welcomes them as His beloved children. So don't put it off. Don't delay. Fall upon the mercy of Christ. Trust in His steadfast love that reveals itself both in disciplining and in delivering His beloved children. Let's pray.
Almighty God, you delight in steadfast love and you love to show mercy. May your discipline lead us to repentance. And may your faithful love both call us to return and receive us when we come. So that you may be joyfully praised as we, your children, give thanks for your amazing grace. Through Jesus, our loving Lord, who with you, the Father of mercies and the Spirit of truth, lives and reigns worthy of all glory, honor, and blessing, now and forevermore. Amen.